0: The message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. So let's begin. Um, I want to... Um I, I want to, I, we always want to keep this in context. Our goal, uh, you know, as we're continuing to work through the gospel of Luke is to stay in the context. It's so important that we remain in context because if we don't, we can wander into misinterpretation, misapplication, misunderstanding. Um, and this is dangerous. So context is as a seminary, seminary professor used to say in t- to us all the time is king. Like it's so critical that we stay in context. So that's why one of the reasons we endeavor to, to work verse by verse through the gospel of luke and to and to study and to preach verse by verse, and uh, here we are in chapter fifteen and last week we looked at verses one through ten and uh, and what i what I want to do is i 'm going back to verses one and two because this is the reason Jesus tells these three parables, just verses one and two is what is what Necessitates Jesus saying these things and demonstrating this, uh, this, um, this principle in order to address this, this, uh, this human condition that is so, that is so dysfunctional within, um, the, the, the objective that Jesus has to rescue the world. And so, um, and before you start being critical of the Pharisee and scribe here, let's take a look at our own hearts. Okay, so um, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and listen to what it says. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners, plural, were, what's the next word? All drawing near to hear him. Who's the him? Jesus. Like, what? All the tax collectors and sinners are, and it says all, and again, that's a very, you know, oftentimes that's used in a very exaggerated way, but like, but like, The mass majority, they're all coming to listen to Jesus like sinners and tax collectors. Now, how would they have been treated at the temple? How were they treated by most most rabbis or the Pharisees or the the scribes? How were they treated? They were ostracized, right? They were were told they're not welcome, right? And if we look at the bottom of verse 2, it says, this man, who's this man? Christ Jesus receives them and eats with them and they're not saying that in a positive way because it doesn't it doesn't like represent their disposition their attitude their perspective so as i continue to read this it says now the text collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the pharisees and the scribes these are the jewish leaders the spiritual jewish leaders of of the first century Judaism, and they're now grumbling. Does that say anything? Is there anything in our memory verse this week about, or this month about grumbling or complaining or arguing or disputing? Right? Like they're grumbling. And why are they grumbling? And, it, and it's interesting. Sometimes Jesus reads their thoughts. We see that often with Simon the Pharisee and others. But here it actually has the word saying. Like it's coming out of their mouth. Like we're told that out of the mouth the heart speaks. You ever experienced that? From your mouth or others, (laughs) right? Like, and here, like, it actually comes out of their mouth, and this is what they say. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus, what does the word receive mean? Welcomes, right? Accepts, welcomes sinners. Now, like, and he goes further. He eats with them. Now I'm going to show you a quick clip because I love this, and I don't promise not to cry again because this is so sweet. But like, I just want to remind you, like, when it comes to um, Matthew, Matthew or Levi is his, is his Hebrew name, but but his his Roman or his work name was Matthew. When he was called, he was a tax collector, and and in Jewish culture, he would have been a traitor. One that was partnering with the with the, the Roman opposition that was doing horrific things, and so he was he was hated. I don't want to say he was hated by his his countrymen. He was despised. Um, and uh, and here's Jesus welcoming and and, and and what happens is in Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is walking by his booth, and he invites him not just to a meal with him, but he invites him to be one of his disciples. Scandalous! Like, can you imagine like, how the other rabbis felt about this? Like, what? You're inviting a tax collector who is literally, and let me, let me point out, because this will, this will kind of confront your doctrine a little bit, who was actually in his booth practicing tax collecting. But, God, but Jesus saw his heart and by the way, when Jesus climbed a mountain and asked which one, which twelve do you, or how many, and which which ones, Matthew was assigned to this by God the Father, and that was communicated to Jesus on a mountain where he prayed all night. Like, do you know that every single one of us is the Matthew? Like, let's not let's not think that we're better than we are. Like, you know what I love is that the moment Jesus walks by his booth, turns around, looks at him, and says, "Matthew, son of Alpheus," do you know everybody, his disciples, and And Matthew, what what do you think they were expecting from Jesus at that moment, based on common culture? Rebuke, judgment, right? And what did he get? Invitation. Love and acceptance. And then he says, we're going to have a dinner party. Why? Because Matthew, son of Alphaeus, is a part of the team. Right? Like... Guys, do you know that, like, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were sad, you see, because, like, like the reason that the scribes are so, like, like, a point, like they're not the only ones. Like, look, look, you know, Peter's response would have been very typical. Whoa, 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 what are you doing? Right, get used to different. Like, have you found that walking with Jesus is very different than what you expected? Right, in and, and the most beautiful and wonderful and glorious way? But like we must understand that this, this was a part of their culture, their DNA, that, that they were, they, they, they saw them as beyond redemption, not worthy of God's love, grace, and mercy. But the problem was they weren't even looking at their own hearts, were they? Jesus said an interesting thing. He said, I did, I did not come. And, and they were asking this same question. Why does your, why does your rabbi eat with, with sinners and tax collectors? And he said, this is what Jesus' response was. He says, I didn't come for the healthy, but the sick. I didn't come for the righteous, but for the sinner. I came to set the captives free. Guys, here's the thing. Nobody's righteous and everybody's sick. But the problem is these guys don't think they're sick and they think they're totally righteous. In fact, they're not the only ones. When Jesus told them in the Sermon on the Mount that, or afterwards, he said, that your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. They were like, then who can be saved? And he says, what's impossible for man, salvation, impossible for us, is possible with God. Isn't that good news? And that's what Jesus came to purchase for us. But I just wanted us to see like, what was the context in which these three parables were, were given? And it was this, this grumbling statement that he eats and he accepts and welcomes and receives sinners and tax collectors. Can I ask something before we move on? And I don't know how far I'll get this morning, but we will finish this. But listen, at another day or today, but listen. Is there a category of people that are beyond redemption in your mindset attitude or the way that you maybe look at them or treat them are there people that you just think man there's no hope for them i i heard someone say that to me this week that this is a person that you know they, they have they have no hope. and i'm like really like i mean do you do you have a hit do you have a category for hitler and for folks like that because, you know, this is what we do to our own demise. Like, we, it, says, it says it's unwise for us to measure ourselves against ourselves. You know, what that means is, like, you know, if I can measure myself against others, another human, maybe I can find some accolade in my life or some area that, I, that I'm doing well in, right? But when I, when, I, when I measure myself against the holiness of God, then I, like Isaiah, come to this conclusion I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips and I have seen the Almighty. And what that does is it brings us to a level playing field where we're all broken for all have, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we're all in need of a Savior. But these guys thought they were better. And here's, here's my heartbreak. Right or wrong, true or untrue, does the church have a reputation here today of being judgmental and pious, critical? And, and the sad answer is yes. Man, we're no, we're no better than anybody else. If anything, we're called to a humble posture that gets, that gets in a servant mindset and posture in order to serve others knowing that we've been given a gift that we didn't deserve. Right? And that, and that we, we, you know, humility, like what, what, would it, what does it take? Jesus is the ultimate example. What would it take to, to to leave heaven if you're God and come to earth and take on skin and be obedient to death, even death on a cross, knowing you were perfect and righteous, did nothing wrong? Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, I didn't do anything wrong. They're to blame. You know, like, and boy, Jesus had that opportunity. In spades, and yet he took our punishment for your sake. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And now we're called to do the same thing, like to lay aside our rights, to lay aside, you know, even to suffer while doing good. First Peter two says that's our calling to follow in his steps. So, you know, my, Jesus is here going, "You don't get it." <laughs> you know, like you're at it. Like I, I, I feel like he's standing there with a broken heart, going, "Man, you're 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 a contrast to the ad the ideal attitude you should be having as spiritual leaders here." And then he speaks this parable in verses three through ten, and, and I just read this as a review. In verses three through ten, it says this. So he, Jesus, told them. Who's the them? Specifically, I think it's the Pharisees and scribes, but the sinners and tax collectors are getting to to be a part of the conversation, or the parable, the teaching. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, now isn't it interesting? Please hear this. If it was only one, Jesus is saying that the shepherd should run out after one. And that is isn't that so sweet and personal to know that, that, that he, he's saying we should the shepherd should leave the ninety nine for the one lost sheep. And that's this is what Jesus did. He said, If he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He went into the the far off country he went out he he went into our our lost circumstance lived it died for the consequence of it and then put him, put us on his shoulder and brought us home right cuz that's what it goes on to say and and it says and when he had found it he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing and when he comes home he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep uh, that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more rejoice, joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You know what the image came to me as I was kind of preparing for this and studying? Is You know when Jesus went home after the ascension? Can you kind of put yourself there? Like... The whole, all of heaven went, yeah, he did it. Like he rescued the sheep. He brought them back. Like, like they, they rejoiced, right? Because the, the mission was accomplished. Jesus, Jesus saved the world. He set the captives free. He ransomed us. And can you see that, that, that heaven exploded with joy and worship? And we see some of those pictures in Revelation. Then he says another parable. Just so, uh, sorry, verse uh, 8. Or what What woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house? And do you see this? Seek diligently. That's what Jesus did for us. He sought us until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together all her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice, with me, meet with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there will be... There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So let me just share just a brief illustration here. So, um, Mary, you can help me, but Memorial Day, probably what, five years ago, we were, Mary and Ray were staying out at Sunset, or, yeah, Sunset Beach, and, uh, they invited us out on, on Memorial Day, and we were out, you know, waist deep in the water, and, and we were just basically throwing one of those balls that can bounce on the water and catch, you know, just kind of the four of us. Uh, out in the water, just talking and sharing, having a good time. Beautiful day. And we were probably 45 minutes to an hour into this. And, um, and before I finish that, let me say this. So these, these 10 coins that are being talked about here, as you probably know from last week's sermon, this was kind of the, the, the woman's, I mean, the only way to understand it in our context, this was her wedding ring. Okay, this was her her token of marriage. These ten coins, one of them lost would diminish its 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 expression, its its declaration. So, back to the story. We're out, you know, throwing this ball around. We're hanging out. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. We're in the water. Sheba goes to throw. For, no, she must. She was catching. She caught a ball, and her wedding engagement ring whoosh, flew off. Okay, at this point I think we're married twenty or nineteen or twenty years. She's had this for that long and it goes into the water, right? And I mean, instant tears, instant devastation. She is just like uh, like she's digging down, she's just devastated in this moment so of course all of us are like you know i'm I'm, i end up getting getting a mask and and i'm for two hours i'm swimming along the 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 edge of the water people are walking on the beach line the guy comes down with his his metal detector i mean and people get involved like people come out you know there's people like combing the beach Um, i'll finish that story with you later but the point is this do you know how devastating it is to God for one to be lost? Do you know, do you know how, how diligently he, he, Jesus sought to save your life? That how precious you are. Do you know that God desires that none should perish? None. And, and none would perish if it, was, if it wasn't for our rejection of his love and his extension of grace and mercy as a gift. We've rejected love himself. And and it says many will walk that wide destructive road rather than find the love, the mercy, the, the rescue of God in Christ Jesus. But I just want you in this moment to understand. Like, I'm sure all of you, because you know Sheba, like, you you, your heart was broken in that moment for her. Even as I shared the story, like, oh gosh, there's there's a great redeeming element to that story. I'll tell you at some point. But, but like, here's how much more does God desire that the lost would be found? Because look at what He did. He did what He would not even let Abraham do. He sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting, everlasting life that he would, they would be rescued back to his presence. And so, of course, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Of course, there's more than even the 99. I mean, th- that is meant to be a, a numbers contrast and a contrast to these, to these, 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 these pious years that look, you know what God is after? He's come to seek and save that which was lost. And if you really understood, you would acknowledge that you're lost too and that you're in need of a Savior. So we come to our passage this morning. Oh boy. And, um, and here we are. I'm going to read this passage for us because this is so good, so good. In verse 11 to 24, and I'm going to pause at 24 and we'll pick up the latter part of this, which is so important. And it's really the, 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 the part where we talk about the older brother is really meant, it's aimed at the Pharisees and the Sadducees um, for for their acknowledgement. But here we're going to look at these uh, f- these 13 verses and it's really, this is, the target audience is, the sinners and tax collectors. I mean, sure, it's the, the scribes and Pharisees because they need to understand like the redemptive plan and work and heart of God and the disposition of our heavenly father. So let me, let me read this for us. This is the third parable that he speaks into this, uh, into this moment. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Is, is that entitlement? He's talking about his inheritance. Do we see any of that in our culture? He divided his property between them. Okay, that means the older and the younger brother, okay? Um, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, all he had, and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He was longing to be, now this is the prodigal son, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses or to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Don't you love that? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly... Now, by the way, when Jesus uses parables, who is often the servants? When it's, when it's explained angels, right? Like, so like, I just want to make that connection. Um, he says, he says, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him put a ring on his fingers, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. All right, so let's dive in real quick. Uh, And he said, verses 11 and 12, there was a man who had two sons. Okay, so based on Deuteronomy 21 The way that the inheritance was working would work in a Jewish culture is: no matter how many sons you had or children you had, you would, you would, the, the oldest son would always get two portions of the shares of inheritance for the purpose of caring for his aging parents. Okay, so we have two sons here, so the older son would have gotten two thirds. This younger son now would be given a third. Of his, He's asking for, just so that we understand the magnitude of the request, he's asking for a third of his father who is still alive. He's asking for a third of his estate. So what kind of attitude do we see here? Yeah, it goes well beyond greed, right? But, I mean, it's entitlement. He's calling it mine. And, and long before his father has, uh, has left the plant. So... Um, he says, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger son said, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the, the share of property that is coming to me. Does God ever get this attitude from us? That, that somehow we're making demands on him? Right? Like thinking that we're entitled or we deserve anything? Wow. And he says, so it's, then it says this, and this is kind of striking, isn't it? It's kind of like, well, I wonder what's going to happen next. Is he going to go? Um, how dare you? Like, basically, what you're saying to me is that you don't care if I'm dead. All you care about is, is my stuff, right? And and you would expect a rebuke and a correction. And and, and surprisingly enough, uh, verse 12 continues, and it says, "He, the father, divided his property between them." Can can I share this with you? I I I think this is valuable. We are always heading for trouble when we value things more than people pleasure more than responsibility and the foreign more than the blessings of home I'm talking about discontentment discontentment like have you counted your blessings recently have you have you acknowledged the gifts that God has entrusted to you and and and, and expressed a, a heart of thanksgiving or are you having a problem with the grass being greener on the other side and struggling to be content no matter what? You know, I'll, I'll continue. Because Jesus had an encounter with a guy that with the same kind of scenario. So this, this man's in the crowd. Jesus is teaching. So this is, this is highly, like I think, offensive. I mean, it's like, it's like right now someone's standing up and walking off. You know, like, I'm, I'm just kidding, Steve. Just, just just, kidding, buddy. But no, like, but like so, so what happens is, is Jesus is teaching and this guy just in the middle of the teaching says, hey, tell my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. Now, Jesus' response is, you know, what business is this of mine? Like, that's interesting in and of itself. But listen to what he turns back to the crowd and says in verse 15. He says, he said to them, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, wanting what other people have. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Does that fly in the face of the American dream? Nightmare? Right? Doesn't it? Like, do we believe that that our value is based on what we have or whose we are? Where is your identity? When people, when you think about who you are, is it what you've achieved? Or what you have? Or is it some accusi- acquisition of possessions that, that, that kind of you know, says that I'm, I'm doing good? Is there, there a sense of security in how much you have in the bank or don't? And lack of security? Or, because our trust, our security should be found in, in him as well as our identity. See, a dissatisfied heart leads to a disappointed life. That's just true. So, right now, if your heart is struggling with dissatisfaction or you're struggling with being with coveting on any level or finding your sense of value in what in possession, I, I would challenge you to, to take that before the Lord. You know what Paul said to Timothy? He he said something to the Philippian church about this, and then he said something to Timothy, and this is what he said. He said, naked we came in, basically what Job said. He said, like, we don't get to take it with us, right? That, 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 you know, we, don't, we come into this world with nothing and we leave this world with nothing, right? And then, what he said, then when he goes on to say this, this is the secret. He says, but God, and it seems like if you don't study it, it seems kind of weird, but this is what he says. He says, God will never leave us or forsake us. We have him. He's the great reward. He's, he's the everything, right? And, and in Philippians, he says, I've learned the secret to contentment. Uh, you know, it's in, in, in lack or in plenty, I've learned the secret to contentment. And in verse 13, what does he say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Like it's, it's in Christ that we find our contentment no matter what our... We're not called to be circumstantial people. Happiness is based on happenstance or happenings. We're, we're supposed to have a joy that is, that is beyond circumstantial influence. So, this is what he says. He says, give me my share. Like, guys, what do we deserve? I mean, what do we, what do we really deserve? <laughs> the wages of sin is death. That, that is what... We deserve. You know that always kind of like confronts my entitlement, you know, <laughs> perspective at times. Like if you think about what you deserve and what God has gifted us in Christ, how? Much, I mean, do you do you feel a little thankful this morning? But but doesn't it kind of rub you a little bit that this guy, this son's going, give me my share? does, does that bother you a little bit? Right, that attitude, and yet is that native to us? What what he is communicating to the father is this. Look, when do you get an inheritance? (laughs) He is basically saying to his dad, I don't care if you live or die, I just want your stuff. I just want your stuff. Do we sometimes have a similar attitude? We have to be honest with ourselves. And the truth is we are co-heirs with Christ. Of what? We're co-heirs, currently co-heirs with Christ. Of what? The father. That's what Jesus came to give us. He like says, don't you think it's amazing that he was absolutely criticized and ridiculed for calling God his father? Blasphemy! And then the moment he, his disciples say, teach us to pray, he says, okay, let's start here. Our father. Not just my father. He's, he shares his daddy with us. Do you know that's what he did? He, he's basically talking adoption terminology here he's saying I mean like because can you imagine when they heard that like our father I mean I, I, I've kind of come to terms with he's your father but now you're telling me to, to, to speak to him and say our father like have you ever thought about that Like, Jesus, Jesus came and said you get to be a part of our family like I'm, I'm inviting you like come to me that's, that's very rich right but to what degree come all the way into my heart. That's what he's inviting us to. It's amazing. So be careful what you want because one of the things we have to see in Romans 1 is that if you want something long enough and bad enough, and trust me, God knows our hearts, he will give it to you. That's one of the scariest things we see in scripture. It says that in Romans 1 says, God turned them over to what they really wanted and it was idolatry and men with men and women, all, all of this stuff. Like he turned them over to that desire and so that they could give themselves to that. Why? Why would the prodigal father, this is such an important question, why would the father, prodigal father resource the son for this journey? You know what I believe? I believe God sees our omega and our alpha. I believe God sees the end of those, our stories, and I believe God was resourcing. Like the this, the point of this is the Father is sometimes resources us for the end for the repentance that's going to happen and the homecoming that He sees, because He also knows that until we taste these things and find them completely empty, have you found that the things of this world are just that Solomon's words are true? Right, that they don't satisfy that what Rob said earlier is so true, that, you know, that, that there are times where God will give us what we want because he wants you to know what you want isn't really what you want. And when you get it, you're going to find how... Do you remember Deion Sanders? You know, they win the Super Bowl. And what does he do that night? Do you remember? He tried to drive his car off a cliff. His whole life was about winning the Super Bowl. He wins the Super Bowl and he finds that it's nothing what he expected. It was empty. There was nothing that, that he exper- expected to experience. Fortunately, this was what, what called him to Christ. And so it's, it's so important that we understand that this world will never satisfy. We think that the grass is greener on the other side. Man, you don't want to pay the water bill. You know what I'm saying? He knows the outcome. He resourced the sun for the journey. When we put this in context of how you know, God sometimes like you know, it's hard. To, our ways are not His ways. Like he His mind, we don't have the mind that even though we've been given it, we're learning and growing in it. We, we, God's ways are different, and we have to understand that. That why do why do rough things come along? We're going to see here in just a moment. But God, God resourced him. Like gave him the resources to go and find out how empty his, his 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 passions and 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 where do you find yourself in that? Are you still running after stuff? Are you still thinking that the enemy's lies and deceptions uh, are are going to satisfy if, if you just get one more car or a bigger house or more money or I mean. What's, what are you really after? And if it's not him, I'm going to tell you it is going to be a, a senseless pursuit. It's going to be empty and shallow and it won't satisfy. So to whom does the balance of his property belong once he does this? It's a question. It belongs to the older son, right? Two-thirds of his property now remains and it belongs to the older son. So this is why the older son gets angry when the, when the when the when the when the younger son comes back home and he's welcomed, right? Oh, no, he's not getting my, you know, like, right? And sometimes that that attitude creeps into the church as if God's not enough for everyone. Like, he doesn't deserve to be here. You know what he did? Does that ever creep into your heart or perspective? How? Like, why? Why is he here? Like, you know what he did? How could he or she deserve? that man that is that's the attitude that Jesus is confronting so i'm going to share this with you you cannot enjoy the things money can buy if you ignore the things money cannot buy think about that he had for what did he give up on the love of the father family the, the 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 joy of love all of those like when when we forfeit like how many, how many men have woken up in their 50s and said, holy smokes, I, 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 I exchanged my family for a career? What have I done? Why does the younger son want his inheritance? Well, verse 13 says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into the far-off country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Squandered his property in in reckless living, so he quickly heads out, he wastes no time you know what that tells us that gives us an indicator of how passionate he was about what he wanted. I mean when, when, once he gets his what, what he needs to do what he wants to do man he 's off and here 's a question: Are you quick to spend earthly treasure on personal pleasure? Consider the cost consider the cost because I want to tell you that I believe that God entrusts resources to us for His purpose. Not only tithing's like a discipline that's healthy for us. Giving, I mean, you know, like we're even told. Paul says that the reason we work is so we can share, not so we can have. So we can give. That's the reason we work, right? And and so like when God entrusts stuff to us, man. What, what are we doing with the things that God gives us? Are we, are we looking to, to satisfy our, our selfish pleasures, thinking that somehow that's going to satisfy our hearts? Are you quick to spend earthly treasure on personal pleasure? Consider the cost. Why do you gather all that you have? It says he gathered all that he has or had. Why? Why do you do something? like that usually because you're not coming back right you're not planning to come back right he i mean he's going to burn a bridge here he's going to separate himself from his father from his family and he's going he's all in in the wrong direction a far-off country exists and please don't miss this a far-off country exists in our hearts first do you hear what i'm saying this is where it starts. So we, we've got we've to always like yield our hearts to the Lord and, and sit as students yielded under his word so that if there's any, search me and know me, the psalmist said, and see if there's any, uh, any way in me that's not pleasing to you. Like we've always got to yield our heart before the Father to make sure that our, our motives, our intentions, our pursuits are pleasing to him pleasing to him why did he go so far why why the far off country and you know how we know this is really far off because he's in a pig's pen jews don't have pig's pens <laughs> right they're unclean animals like they don't farm with pigs right so like he's in a gentile context he is far from the father he is as far as he can go you know why do we go why do we why would he leave the father's presence to that degree. And I believe it's because he didn't want anybody telling him what to do. He didn't want any accountability. He just wanted to be, and and he didn't want any community or cultural accountability either. Do you think it's healthy to be in a community where we we lovingly hold each other accountable? Like if we see one another going in a wrong direction, that we have the courage and the love and the care and the concern to say, hey, I love you enough to say, this looks like a dangerous path for you. Like, I'm, I'm aware that you're, 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 you're having lunch with this woman on a regular basis. You know, I, I think that's a bad idea. I mean, that's, that's a good friend right there. That's a brother. That We need social accountability. We need community. And my question, another question I have for you is, are you squandering the Father's gifts and resources? Are you squandering the things that the Father has entrusted into your hands? Are you using them for selfish purpose and pleasure when they have been earmarked for something far greater? I think of the parable of the talent, right? Right here. I think of the parable of the talent. Like, why does God give us gifts, talents, resources? You know, that we might sow them for his glory, that we might please him with the outcome of of how we invest our lives in the things that he's entrusted to us. Are you living recklessly and purposefully or purposefully? Are you? In which ways are you extravagant? Prodigal. In which ways are you prodigal? Are you a prodigal in the way that the younger son was, which was wasteful or are you prodigal the way the father is in extravagance of his love and kindness and generosity care and compassion forgiveness and mercy reckless living leads to famines in our life ordained by god even he was far from the fa- from his father by his own desire with no community or accountability, he had burned all of his relational bridges and was living recklessly. Do you think that's a good idea? Verse 14 says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. For sake of time, I'm going I'm to stop here. We'll pick this up in a couple of weeks after our Shine sermon. But like, And I'm excited about that, but I, I want to point out something, and we'll pick this up right here in, in, in a few weeks. But... But if you've ever studied Abraham's life and his journey, you know, Abraham would experience God, build an altar, and it was always in the land of Canaan. But then it says that there would be a famine, a test, and he would run off to Egypt or he'd run off to, to Absalom or, or uh, Abimelech, sorry, you know, like I mean, and and if you follow the chronology, like it's so interesting how every time that someone leaves where they're supposed, and and look, like famines can be tests or they can be consequences. But let me tell you, at the heart of the Father, what His objective is: it's to bring you back home. It's 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 to call you back to Himself. And, and at the, you know, don't you think it's just incredibly graceful and loving and kind of him to, to put these things in our life in order to call us back, to keep us from, to, to, to wake us It's, it's basically like a stop sign. Right? And, and so often we just kind of blow through it. And all, all that does is deepen the heartache, the loss, the need, the pain. Are you inviting famines into your life by your heartfelt desires and approach? Have you realized yet that this world can't satisfy? Are you seeking greener grass? And so, man, I really was excited about finishing this. But for time, I'm going to pick this up in a couple weeks. So plan to be here next week is our shine sermon. That's going to be amazing based on Philippians 2:14 through 15. Um, but I, I want to pause. I want to invite the worship team to come up as we prepare our hearts for communion. But, you know, I want to challenge you as we go into communion today, like just to remember that Jesus is the older brother that raced to the far off land to rescue us back. To the Father and to call us home right and and so often there are you know there are moments where we come to our senses as this passage talks about, that we come to our senses and we realize that the Father is lavish, that everything that I really needed or wanted is at home and isn 't it interesting in verse twenty four in this as we get ready for communion isn 't it interesting that the party that he was after when he grabbed his money and Took all he had and headed off to the farm. That he was looking for a party, right? He scorned his li- his wealth and wild living like that. That where, when did he experience the party? When he got home. And let me say this finally. Like you remember what it says that while he was still alive, like first the thing he says is I- I'll go home. I'll, I'll tell him I'm no longer worthy to be his son. Uh, make me a, a hired servant, right? Like, so, so that's a good thing, right? That we say to God, make me a servant, right? That, that should be our, that should, humili- like humiliation should, should result in humility, not bitterness, right? That's ideal. But in this moment, don't you love that while he is, like it says while he was still a long way off. That's so good. The Father what saw him. Do you know that God sees you while you're still a long way off? And it says it said you know what you know what happens in that moment, which is total contrary. And we'll get into this contrary to Jewish culture, elders within they don't run, they don't lift their that that would be. But he hum, the Father humbled Himself and ran to the Son and embraced Him and did what? Kissed him. Right? Now, do you think that that's what the son expected? He didn't even get to finish his confession. But let's not forget that he repents. He repents. And what I love is, the father puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and he says, which robe? The best robe. Do you know who wears the best robe in the house? This is the father's robe. This is the robe of righteousness that Jesus talks about. It's his robe, right? And you know what he he does by putting that ring back on his finger? And I I can say this a hundred times, so I don't care that I'm giving you some that we're going to give you later. But like, please hear this. By doing that, you know what he did? Sandals tells him that he's not a servant, he's a son. Like, that's not happening. You're my son. I'm, I'm sure that didn't do anything for his heart at that moment. Right and for ours, that he reminds us who we are and that we're his and we're bought with a price that we're not our own. Like, but then you know what he does? He puts a ring on his finger. You know what that symbolized? He gave him his inheritance back. What? You know that the Old Testament tells us that God gives us back the fields the locusts ate. He gives him his inheritance back. Now you wouldn't expect, you expect the father to go, okay, so if you're coming home, things are going to have to be a little different. Right? No. He runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He reinstates him. He reminds him who he is. And then he gives him back his inheritance. That's our God. That's our heavenly father. That's what he's done for us in Christ. So as we sing these songs and you prepare your hearts, remember what the cross purchased us from and to. His heart, His presence.